Hey everybody, welcome to New Life Community Church Worship Service. We're sure glad you joined us this weekend as we continue as a church family to move through and to, to just follow God through the wilderness, which is COVID-19. And again, here we are, another week, another online service, but I'm glad you tuned in. If you're a guest, a visitor, uh, someone just watching for the first time, we welcome you here this is our opportunity to, to see how God can actually speak to our circumstances and our situation from his timeless and eternal word. And there is a real message for all of us in the text today that I think you'll find very practical. You see, what, one of the challenges we're facing right now is, is the area of fear. Uh, initially, when COVID first came, there was the fear for our health, which is a, still an ongoing fear. As this has progressed, now there's a fear for the economic situation. Uh, there's a fear for the educational reality of what this means. Uh, for many people, it's an occupational fear, a recreational fear. Will I play hockey again? Will I play baseball? Will I play basketball? Will I play soccer? I mean, th- these are all fears that are coming out of this, this COVID reality. And, and with that, that fear is the question of, of, you know, how do we answer that? How do we speak to that? And, and I believe that as we enter into this COVID season, as we move through the wilderness, which is COVID, uh, that we can follow God, that one of the options, and, and the, the option that God gives us is, is to walk by faith. Fear or faith. And that's where we find ourselves in Numbers chapter 14. It's a long chapter. It's a heavy chapter. There's going to be some pretty tough stuff that comes out of this chapter. I'm just going to give you a heads up as we move into it. But I believe that, that you're, you're, you're watching today because you're looking for some other answer to, to, the, to what you hear on the news and on the radio and on the internet, and you, you see a lot of fear out there. But I believe God gives us another option, that we can choose the path of faith. And that was the option that was in front of the people of Israel as they sat on the verge of experiencing God's best for them, to move into that promised land that had been promised to them centuries beforehand, that 12 spies had just spied out and, and saw and just seen how good it was, how, how great the land was, how much fruit there was there. But 10 came back and, and brought back an evil report, a report that wasn't completely true. It was falsified and mystified, and, and they added elements of, of fear into their report to, to bring the people to view this land as, as a place which they possibly ne- could never enter into. They saw the obstacles of the promised land. I mean, those, those people are big. Their cities are fortified, and they're everywhere. But two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, saw something different. They, they didn't see obstacles. They saw opportunity. And they chose to move ahead by faith. And so what we have here is, is this, this group of people gathered together. Ten are saying, there's no way. They're, we feel like grasshoppers in front of them. Two are saying, let's do it. And there they are, and this is where we find ourselves in Numbers 14. The story isn't over. What will happen? Where will the people go? How will God respond to this? How is God leading them through this? How is, you know, which path is the right path? And which, where do they lead? And what is the cost of choosing that path? That's what we find here in Numbers chapter 14. It says in verse 1, Then all the community raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had perished in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us into this land only to be killed by the sword that our wives and our children should become plunder? Wouldn't wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? 
So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Now here's what we have. We have this downward spiral. Fear has taken over the hearts of the people. And again, from just 10, group, a group of 10 men, this false report, this fear-mongering has infected, like cancer, the whole camp. And first of all, it starts with wailing and crying. And, and they're moaning, and they're emotionally responding to the situation. That turns into this idea of murmuring in chapter 2. This word will show up again and again in this chapter. This word is always used negatively, especially in the Pentateuch and the first five books of the Bible. This is a word which describes God's people when they're wandering away from Him. It's a complaining word. It, It means to express resentment, dissatisfaction, anger, and complaint by grumbling in half muted tones of hostile opposition to God's leaders and the authority which He has invested in them. They're mumbling. They're they're murmuring. They're grumbling. That grumbling uh, turns into blaming. In verse 3, they, they blame God. Why would God bring us to this place just to die? Now, they totally missed the point of God bringing them to that place. They totally missed the whole story. But in their fear, in, in, their, in, in their inability to see God in their circumstances, all they can see are the obstacles. And now they've gone from whining, crying, murmuring, complaining, blaming God, and so much so that the end of, of verse 4, they're saying, you know what, let's, let's quit this and let's go back to Egypt. Let's get a new leader. We don't like God's leader. We don't like God's plan. We don't even like God. Let's go back to Egypt. Now, this is what fear does. Fear is at many times irrational. When you let fear get out of hand and you let fear become, you know, lies accompany fear and, and then the story gets bigger than it actually is, it leads to an irrationality to a frenzied activity, to choices that, that are very costly in the end. Here, they're, they're willing to abandon the path that God has laid out for them and go back to Egypt. Do they really think that Egypt will welcome them back? Do they really think that life would be better back in Egypt? But all they can see right now in front of them is the obstacles. And fear has become the motivating factor, and they're choosing that path over God's best path for them. Fear. It's really unbelievable that they're there. And in chapter, in verses 5 to 9, we see the response of faith. First of all, the leaders, Moses and Aaron, it says, then Moses and Aaron fell down with their faces to the ground before the whole assembled community of the Israelites. I mean, these, these men are, are showing humility and a dependence on God in that moment. We actually don't hear from Moses and Aaron in this story. I mean, God is speaking, the people are speaking, Mo, uh, Joshua and Caleb will speak, but, but here they're just, they're coming before God and they're saying, Lord, Lord, we need your help. And then, It says that the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, speak in verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, two of those who investigated the land, tore their garments. To tear everyone's garments was something you usually did when you were in mourning. It was a sign of contrition, of repentance, of deep uh, emotional response. It showed that you took this situation seriously. They tear their garments, and they say to the whole community of the Israelites, verse 7, The land we pass through to investigate is an exceedingly good land. It's not bad land. It's it's not a horrific land. It's not wasteland. It is really, really good. He says in verse 8, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, 
I mean, part of us experiencing this is we're becoming his people. He's dwelling among us. We're following his laws and his regulations. We're discovering what it means to, to reflect the glory of God in the midst of a community. And if God delights in us, boy, he's going to bring us in. He's going to settle us. We're, we're going to show the whole world what it means to be the people of God. And they say in verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread for us. I have a picture here of a, a loaf of bread. You know, in the last end of the last chapter, the other spies said, you know, we felt like grasshoppers. We're just little edible appetizers for these, for these giants in the land. And, and Joshua and Caleb responded and said, no, no, these people are bread. They are the appetizers for us. They're an easy meal to eat. I mean, you, could, you feed your kids bread, you know, when they're just getting their teeth because they can gnaw on it. You can feed your, your elderly grandparents bread with, you know, without their false teeth because they can just gnaw it and, you know, kind of, you know, fades away into your mouth. I mean, this is a simple, easy meal. Even we've got this under control when God is with us. You see, the, the path of faith leads you to a totally different conclusion than the pathway of fear. They're bread to us. Their protection has turned aside from them, it says in verse 9. But the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This is the final call and opportunity for the camp, for the people of Israel to respond in faith to the opportunity that stands in front of them. Caleb and Joshua put it all out there. Look, guys, we can do this. God's with us. He delights in us. These people are just like a loaf of bread. With this, this, is, this, is, this is God's plan. Let's just stick with it. It's the right way to go. And you, you think that the people would say, yeah, you guys are right. That makes sense. Let's move in. Let, let's forget about Egypt. Let's, let's discover God's best future and, and, and hope for us. But instead, in verse 10, it tells us, however, the whole community threatened to stone them. They're picking up rocks. <laughs> They're getting ready to put these guys down. That's enough. You know, what are you guys talking about? You're crazy. And then it says, But the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. You see, there comes a point when God shows up, when God makes his presence realized and felt and seen. God had heard enough, and now he's ready to, to speak to this Matter of fear versus faith. He's going to say, there is a cost involved when you choose fear. There's a cost involved when you choose faith. And, and there's a consequence. There's a destination involved when you choose fear and when you choose faith. God shows up. And there's this Shekinah glory sitting over the tabernacle. He's dwelling in the midst of them. But you see, ten spies and a whole camp full of people aren't even thinking about God. They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their own circumstances. They're thinking about their own situation. They're overwhelmed by their fear. They're caught up in the emotion and, and, and the, the audacity of, of, of trying to move in and, and fight these giants. And a small group of people, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb, are looking at it differently. They're looking to God. They're seeking Him in this circumstance, in this situation. The glory of the Lord. You see, God had been displaying his glory throughout the whole Exodus experience. He displayed his glory when he sent the plagues to Egypt. He displayed his glory when he, when he brought the, the Israelites to the Red Sea and then opened the sea for them to walk through on dry ground. 
He displayed his glory when they, when, when they conquered the Amalekites when they came to attack them on the other side of the Red Sea. He displayed his glory when water flowed out of the rock in, in, in response to their thirst and their need for, for water. He displayed his glory every morning when they got up and found manna sitting on the ground outside in the desert. God provided for them. He displayed his glory every time the cloud was, was sitting above the tabernacle and, and the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night. I mean, his glory was there and the glory of the Lord appears and, and there he is. He's like, I have been with you. I've been carrying you. I've been leading you. God speaks. And here's how it works. God always gets the final word. He always gets the last word. For everyone in this whole world, in this whole universe, God will have the last word. You know, you can argue with God, but he gets to say the last word, the last phrase. And here God speaks. The Lord said to Moses in verse 11, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of the signs I've done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence. I will disinherit them. I will make you into a nation that is greater and mightier than they. He's like, here, Moses, forget it. Let's just ditch them. I'm starting fresh with you. It's over. And then Moses speaks. He responds. And he, he prays. This is a man of faith, responding to the circumstance and the situation that he is in. And he's speaking to the God of, of creation and of salvation and of exodus. And he's, and he's saying to him, here in verse 13, Moses said to the Lord, when the Egyptians hear it, for you brought this people by your power from among, from a, for you brought up this people by your power from among them, then they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among this people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, that your cloud stands over them, and that you go before them day, by day in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. If you kill this entire people at once, then the nations that have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to them, he killed them in the wilderness. I mean, he's like, look, God, I'm concerned for your reputation. You'll notice this prayer, this intercession, he's focusing on God. This is a man of faith here, Moses, the leader. He's saying, look, look Lord, it's your reputation that's at stake here. I mean, these, this people is a messed up people, no doubt, but, but I don't want people dissing you because of, of, of the sinfulness of, of this people. I mean, you deserve better than that, God. You didn't bring these people out in the desert to die. That's not your plan you, or, or into the promised land to be, to be swallowed up. That wasn't your intention. And so we, then he calls upon God to show his power, but in a different way. He says in verse 17, So now let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have said. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in loyal love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children until the third and fourth generations. He's quoting, of course, the scriptures. He says, please forgive the iniquity of this people according to your great loyal love, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. It's like, yeah, God, you're powerful. Yes, you could destroy them all. You could just blast them right now. But I want you to display your power by showing the power of your love in this circumstance, your grace, your mercy. Please forgive them. Yes, sin deserves a punishment. There is a consequence for choosing the wrong path in life. But would you just forgive them, Lord? Would you allow your power of your character to overwhelm the audacity of their fear and their sinfulness. It's a real bold request that Moses makes here. 
The people don't deserve it. And God responds in verse 20 and says, The Lord was said, I have forgiven them as you asked. I found this quote in the Brazil's commentary. It's on the screen there. God's forgiveness is a gritty patience and willingness to continue on in relationship in spite of the past. I mean, we're all here today because of God's forgiveness. And maybe you're watching this and you don't realize that God is willing and able to forgive you of your sins. And this is the good news of, of the Bible and of Jesus Christ, is that in Christ, God, God was willing to forgive us and, and to, to remove that sin from us and, and to give us a fresh start, a, a new life, where we can move up and out in, in new life in Jesus Christ. And here in the book of Numbers, we see God's grace in this circumstances where people don't deserve grace. God is extending it. And he responds to Moses' request to forgiveness on behalf of the people. And he says, yes, I will forgive them. He's showing his gritty patience and willingness to continue on in that relationship in spite of the past. But then he replies in verse 21. But truly, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Filled is a term used of God's ability to finish a work begun or, or accomplish a word promised. I mean, God's whole design with the people of Israel is to show his glory. That they were to be this, this nation, a holy nation. A, a nation of priests, a, a royal nation. A, a nation that displayed the, the beauty and the glory of God in, in the community. And here they were, stepping aside from that high calling and heading back onto a path of, of fear and a path of humanism where they were the center of their own lives, where they only viewed life from what they could see and not from God's perspective. And that path of fear will lead them in, into a very dangerous place and will prove to be very costly. But God says, you know, my glory will fill the whole earth. This is still my intention he says in verse 22, For all the people have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have tempted me now these ten times and have not obeyed me. They will by no means see the land that I swore to their fathers, nor will any of them who despise me see it. They're not going in. I'm not going to destroy them in one swoop like I, like I suggested at the beginning, Moses, but none of these people are going to get in. They have despised the glory that they have seen. They have taken advantage of the opportunities that I've given them, and they, they have just spurned them and turned their back on me. I mean, they're willing to go back to Egypt and, and abandon the path that I've given them. I'm done with them. It's a real serious, solemn message. They are not going in. The glory of God is that unchanging beauty of him. It's the magnificence of his reputation, as well as the very reality of his presence. Remember Jesus in the Gospels. He, he's speaking to, to some of the towns where, where, where he did, you know, miracles. And he, he says in Luke chapter 10, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus is kind of like, look, the, the very glory of God was among you. I was doing the signs of God and you still didn't receive them. It's a horrible thing to have been led by God, to have been provided for by God, to have seen his, his glorious presence and then to turn away from it. It's an awful, awful reality. And the consequences for the people that chose that path is they will never enter the land. But he says in verse 24, 
those that choose the path of faith. He says, only my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he has gone, and his descendants will possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites were living in the valleys. He says, tomorrow turn and journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. It's like, you know, the, the, the faithful man, the faithful men, the faithful men and women, they will possess the promises that I've given to them because they are stepping in line with me. What is the cost of choosing the path of faith? It's your whole life. He says of Caleb, he has followed me fully with everything. He, he, he has given me his all. And as a result, I'm going to take him in with me. We're, we're going to do this together. I'm, I'm going to be with him, and he's going to experience the fullness of the blessings that I have in store for those who believe in me. It's a, it's, it's a heavy cost, but it comes with incredible blessing. The cost of fear is failure and the inability to receive the fullness of God in your life. Now, this is a unique situation that none of us are going to be living in. There is a immediate application that, that applies to, to the Israelite community that doesn't necessarily apply to us. But the principles are, are similar. God wants you to experience the blessings of obedience. But when you choose your own path and you choose to follow fear and get involved in the frenzy and, and go with the crowd, you will find yourself in difficult and dangerous circumstances. And it will pay a very significant cost for doing that. And so God kind of explains and elaborates on this a little bit more to Moses and Aaron in verses 26 and on. And he says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long must I bear with this evil congregation that murmurs against me? I've heard the complaints of the Israelites that they murmured against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, I will surely do to you just as you have spoken in my hearing. Your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your full number from 20 years up and upward who have murmured against me. You will by no means enter the land where I swore to, to settle you. The only exceptions are Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. But I will bring in your little ones, whom you said would become victims of war, and they will enjoy the land that you have despised. But as for you, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness, and your children will wander in the wilderness 40 years and suffer for your unfaithfulness until your dead bodies lie finished in the wilderness. According to the number of days you've investigated this land, 40 days, one day for a year, you will suffer for your iniquities, 40 years, and you will know what it means to thwart me. I mean, God is just laying it out real clear, real straight. He talks about their dead bodies. That, that's the corpse that's in the state of decay and stench. For 40 years, you're going to experience death every day, every day. Someone's going to die. Multiple people are going to die every day as a reminder to you of the path of fear and where that leads you. Until the 40-year period is done, then I will bring a new generation to this land who will trust in my promises, who will walk by faith, who will claim the, the inheritance that I've promised to Abraham and his descendants, and they will experience it because they will follow me, but this group will not. Even in verse 33, it talks about your unfaithfulness. I mean, literally in the Hebrew, it's for your whoredoms, for your prostitution, for the unfaithfulness, your spiritual unfaithfulness to me. You will not enter this land. 
And he says in verse 35, I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do this to this evil congregation that has gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they will be finished, and there they will die. Again, God gets the final word. It's a serious word. It's a solemn word. It's it's a heavy word. But the reality is, they had every opportunity to do the right thing, and they chose not to. The majority got in and, and lies were, were spread around and they just infected a cancer, the whole camp, and everyone is going to go against God, go against his leadership. And finally God says, that's it. No more. This is what's going to happen. And you'll notice in verse 25, the command to them was, turn now and journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. We're not going to the promised land. I'm sending you back, and this is going to be the, the, the lesson time. This is going to be the time of apprenticeship and of learning and of education for 40 years. You're going to learn. Every day you're going to wake up. You're going to collect manna as a reminder of my glory and my gracious provision for you. And then you're going to watch the funeral processions go by as you bury dead bodies out in the wilderness. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. You think after 40 years they got it? Do you think after 40 years they realized? Some of you may be in this COVID situation becoming, circling back to some of the things that you've been dealing with your whole life. I'm just saying, I've said this in previous messages, I'm going to say it again, that if you don't learn the lesson, God will keep bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back. And sometimes some of us are so slow, God just keeps doing it and doing it. And maybe in COVID, you're, you're seeing things coming up in your life, and you're like, man, I thought I dealt with that. I didn't realize that was a problem. I, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And, and God's like, I am trying to teach you to trust me, to lean on me, to give me all your life and let me carry you through this. But you, you, you are stubborn and independent. You don't want my, my help. And if you don't want my help, then I won't help you. But if, if you choose the other path, it will just lead you in circles. And for these people, ultimately in death. It's a, it's a horrible story. It is not nice. I mean, it, I've got some pictures of maps here. I mean, they were so close to experiencing, moving into, you know, the, to the promised land, and now they're moving down into, you know, between the Red Sea there and that, you know, Sinai Peninsula, and they would spend the years just working around, moving around the desert there, experiencing God's provision, but waiting for His promise because of the unfaithfulness of this older generation. And this serves as an example for us today. That as we face these transition moments in our life, these significant decisions, these forks in the road, that we need to choose the path of faith and not the path of fear. That we need to say, no, I'm going with God even if, even if, that, if, it, even if I'm in the minority. Some of you know what this is like. You go to school, you're the only Christian in your class, you're taking a stand on moral issues, you're, you're, your language is different, your standards of dating are different, you're, you know, your weekend activities are different, and, and, and you find yourself in the minority, but God sees that. And he will honor that, I'm telling you. You go to work, you're the only one who seems to have these, these convictions and, and, and you have a different moral standard and, and not to be holier now, but, but you find yourself going against the grain of, of, of just the reality of everyone else in the shop or the office. And, and I'm just telling you, God sees you and he sticks with you through that. And for those of you and facing difficult challenges in this COVID time, and you're like, I don't know if I can move ahead. It feels like God's left me. I'm just telling you, he hasn't left. He's still with you. He's still walking with you. He's still carrying you. Don't give up on God. Stick with him because he will stick with you. 
He sees what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He's carrying you. And, and look what happens here in verse 36. The man who Moses had sent to investigate the land, this is the tent, who returned and made the whole community murmur against him by producing an evil report about the land. Those men who produced the evil report about that land, I mean, the narrator goes through a, a long list and an explanation extrapolating what kind of men and what kind of report these guys brought. Why? Why? Because he wants to just really make it clear that this is what, how God felt about these men. They, they brought back an evil report. They caused people to murmur. They, you know, they produced an evil report. He says, these men, verse 37, died by the plague before the Lord. What happens when you choose the path of fear? The path that goes against God's ways. Ultimately, you, you end up separated from God. Abandoned and on your own. It's a horrible place to be. It's a place no one should be. God is loving and gracious and wants us to be in relationship with him. These men rejected God. And as a result, they reaped the choice that they made. And they died before him in the plague. I mean, this is the Old Testament. This stuff happens. It's pretty serious. But God says, you know, you have messed with my glory. You have adulterated my plan. You have made me look bad in front of all the people. And that's not acceptable because everything that I've done for you has been good and gracious and has reflected my glory. And you guys have distorted that. And there they died. But it says in verse 38, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among the men who went to investigate the land, they lived. You see, the path of faith leads to life. Leads to longevity. Ultimately leads to prosperity. Spiritual prosperity. A connection with God that carries you through life no matter what comes. And when Moses told these things to all the Israelites, the people mourned greatly. I mean, they're sad, finally. Finally sad, we think. But then right at the end, in an odd sort of way, it says early in the morning, they went up to the crest of the hill country saying, here we are, we're ready to go up to the place that the Lord commanded, for we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you now transgressing the commandment of the Lord? It will not succeed. I mean, they, God said, look, turn and head into the wilderness. This is God's command. They're, no, we're ready to go. They're thinking, they're thinking two wrongs make a right. God's like, no, no, no. I, I've told you the way, the way it's going to be. Go into the wilderness, live out those 40 years, and let your kids and grandkids enjoy what I've promised for your people. Do not go up, Moses says, verse 42, for the Lord is not among you, and you will be defeated before your enemies, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you will fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they dared go up to the crest of the hill, and although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. So the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country swooped down and attacked them as far as Hormah. I mean, it's a failure. I mean, the, the chapter ends on this, this like depressing note. Did you not learn? No, they, done, they didn't learn. And, and, they, and they still haven't learned. And, and it's going to come up again in the book of Numbers. And as they journey through the wilderness, stuff comes up in their life and God wants to, them to deal with it. But if you're selfish and not walking by faith, you won't deal with it, but you'll reap disastrous consequences. I mean, God's gracious nature is that he did not destroy them. He allowed them to live. He allowed them to continue to populate and, and to, you know, to birth a whole new generation that would enter into land. But they missed out on God's best for them because of their fear and because of their own selfish need to, to have control in the situation instead of letting God just lead them and have his way. 
as we enter through, move through COVID, those choices are in front of you, fear or faith. You'll be tempted to respond in fear. And when you go on that path, it is a, is a destructive path and it drags people down with you. But when you go by faith, it, it totally changes the way things work out for you. And we as the people of God, I'm speaking to believers watching this video right now. We are called to demonstrate God's glory by responding to our circumstance and situation in faith. That our neighbors, our co-workers, our unsaved family, the, those that aren't, haven't yet followed Jesus, look at us and say, well, how come they have peace in this situation? How come they're not concerned about you know, dying or, or bankruptcy or who knows what or politics? How, how come they're not getting into a frenzy? Why? Because we have faith. We're deeply entrenched in the promises of God and the presence of God and the power of God. And this chapter, long chapter, shows us that, you know, God is with those that stick with Him. No matter what happens, I'm encouraging you to stay with God. And today, if you're watching this and you don't have God in your life, and you're, you've sort of been pushing Him out all these years, and now you realize you don't have control over your life, there, there are things that go on in this world that, that are just beyond any human interval, involvement or intervention. You realize, man, I need help from above. Now is your time to turn to God. And what we find in the Bible is that God will graciously receive those who come to Him by faith. That when you come to Him, when you turn to Him, when you confess your sin and, and, and put your life in His hands, He will carry you through. No matter what journey you've taken to this point, He's willing to restart with you today. As we journey through the wilderness, and here we are, and it's, it's kind of almost becoming normal. We don't want it to become normal. But maybe the part of this wilderness is for you to come to a new appreciation for the walk of faith. God has this under his control. I mean, you read the newspapers and the, and, you know, the internet websites and, and hear the news on TV. I mean, there's all sorts of predictions and speculation about the future and what's going to happen and, and what should happen and decisions that should be made. But as the people of faith, we can kind of rise above that and find a peace and a confidence that comes from God. Numbers 14 shows us that. that God's with those who stick with him by faith. But when you reject God, he'll let you kind of reap the, the results of that decision, which are horrific. And awful, and, and no one should, should end up there because God's love is such that he wants you to be in relationship with him. He pursued the Israelites. He, he carried them. He loved them. He, he preserved them, but they still rejected him. Don't reject God today. And if you feel like God has given you a raw deal in COVID, uh, just maybe you need to reframe your perspective. God is looking after you. God is watching you. God will take care of you. Those promises are true, and we can claim them, and we should claim them. He may change the way you live your life. He may alter some of the circumstances in your life. He may call for some realignment in your life, but all these things will be for His glory. So I encourage you to trust God today, to walk with Him, to stick with Him. Would you pray with me as, as we close? I want to pray with you. If, you never, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, today I would just encourage you, wherever you're, you're watching this, just to surrender your life. Say, Lord, I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins and rose again. 
And I believe in him as my Savior, and I receive him now. I want to follow him and live for him. And to take my life now by faith and not by fear. And God, I pray for all of us as we move through this together. Keep our eyes on you. Keep our eyes on, on, on the path that you have for us. Help us to find faith even when it seems like the odds are against us, Lord. Give us the courage to stand up and to be strong in you. And I pray just for your blessing upon your people and that we would just reflect your glory in our community, in our neighborhoods, as we experience your peace and your joy and your confidence in the midst of the times in which we live. So I pray for each and everyone watching. Give us the courage of faith. This week we pray in Jesus' name. It's a long chapter. I just pray that you could read it through on your own and just discover God's blessing for you as you mull over it. Have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next week.